to see you guys. Let me give you two quick announcements. Number one, uh, I am almost certain that this Wednesday we'll actually have Merge Week. Uh, if you were here last Wednesday, it did not go well until announcement time. But I'm confident that we are having Merge Group and Merge Student Group this Wednesday night. If you'd like a link uh, to join virtually into the uh, Merge Adult Groups, let me know and we will make sure you have that. Uh, and then secondly, uh, this afternoon at 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock, uh, there's going to be a group of people from our community gathered at the park, uh, and we're going to uh, sing songs to God, we're going to pray, uh, we are going to uh, ask God to move in incredible ways. We want to make sure you know about that. We are excited about what God's going to do during that time up here at the amphitheater. Um, uh, I, I think I'm supposed to remind you, uh, if to bring a chair or a blanket uh, if you'd like. And then is there anything else I'm supposed to remind you all of? Bring a pen. Bring? Or three or four. What if, what if, what if they don't have friends? What if bring people. What if they're like your husband and has no friends whatsoever? Oh. Wait. Wait. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having a private conversation <laughs> with Kelly. So, yeah. All right, Chris needs a friend, so maybe <laughs> somebody invite him tonight to uh, this, this park thing. So uh, I think that's, that's all we got. Yeah. And so, man, we are, we are so glad you are here. Before we take the time uh, to respond to God's incredible love for us in Jesus through song, uh, let's take a moment, let's stand to our feet, let's shake some hands, say it's good to see you.
God, you are a mighty warrior. We know that if you are for us, then nothing could ever stop us. We thank you, God, that you would lead the 99 to come find us. And I know there are seasons that, that we face. I know there are hearts here right now that are lost, that are looking for you, that are distant from you. And we find a, a boldness, a refuge in the fact that there's no shadow that you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up to come after us. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie that you won't tear down to come after every heart in this place. So that I pray right now that our hearts are free, that we, that we have a desire to want to reach out for you right here and right now. We ask that, that as you continue to shape us, that you would make our hearts, continue to make our hearts new. We love you. We do this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.
serve a God who has the power to make all things new. To purify, to cleanse, to redeem. He's not waiting for you. He's not waiting for me to do that. He's not waiting for us to get to a certain place in life where we call ourselves a good Christian and then he's ready to use us. It's not the way it works. Thank you. 
faith, our hope, our anchor in you. With our lives, I pray that we sing of your faithfulness to us. Every part of your heart. Sing this to him. Oh, 
wrap our minds around. And oftentimes we live this life as if it's a small gift. us with. We do this in your son's beautiful and holy name. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Exodus chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be there for a minute, and then we're going to go to 14. Um, the, the, let me start by saying this. These past few weeks uh, have, just as a, a moment of transparency, have been so very helpful uh, to my spirit uh, as we walk with the Israelites in the book of Exodus. In fact, uh, I, I say helpful because uh, God has been graciously helping me see His heart uh, for me through the lens of the experiences of his chosen people. And, and when we started a few weeks back, as, as God let them, uh, as God reminded them, I should say, uh, that he is aware of their circumstance, uh, that he is working in their circumstance, and that uh, he will uh, provide uh, for them to be out of, of that circumstance. And, and now that was difficult because... Uh, at the time, the Israelites are groaning to God and they're crying out to God because they are being oppressed. Uh, not in the sense of, man, things are just hard right now, but in the sense that I am under bondage. I have no freedom of my own. And, and God had made promises to them about what he would do because the story that he is telling them is larger than the story of of their lives. And, and I think in the Exodus, we see a God redeeming his people, displaying his power, 
and, and making a statement about his glory and then how feeble it is uh, for the enemy to ever attempt to go toe-to-toe with him. Uh, that, that no matter whether it be Satan or whether it be uh, Pharaoh, going toe-to-toe with God does not end well for you. And, and so we walked with them as they struggled uh, with, with being caught between uh, the belief and the hope that comes from God saying, I'm coming to rescue you, and then the, the expectation uh, that, that he would do it quicker and really on their timetable, right? Uh, because God tells Moses and Aaron to go tell the people, hey, God's coming to, re- to rescue you, to bring you out of slavery. And they say, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the very next scene, their life gets hard. And they say, wait, it was supposed to happen quicker. And, and now what we're finding is that the Israelites are very similar to us. They broke underneath the expectation uh, when Pharaoh places these additional hardships in their lives. And, and regardless of their waning faith, God has not, and this is the message, that God has not misled them or he has not been untrue to his word, that, that he's been working to an end and he, that he always intended to work toward. There's never been a moment in the Exodus where God's plans were thwarted. And, and so, so in the Exodus, God rescues, but he also teaches his people about uh, these, these greater lessons of, of his care and his provision to meet all their needs. Now, this requires at times these, these monumental steps to reveal his heart in ways that generations uh, following will, will speak about, it, even to today. That what we get discussed in this monumental moment in the lives of the Israelites uh, it affects us today, and, and there, there is no greater story than the one that, that God uh, tells. In fact, almost all of our great stories in the history of mankind uh, rip off what God has done in his past. Uh, and, and so uh, last week uh, we, we hit what, what can feel like a, a great season finale. Uh, that, that realize that, that all season finales typically are trying to move the story along to the next season. And that, that's kind of where we were at. As, as great as last week's season finale was, as, as God sends plagues and then we get the Passover and then, and then we finally hear Pharaoh look at Moses and Aaron and just say, Go, just leave. And what we, what we learned very quickly is that that the Passover can look like the climax of one season, but when you look at the whole story, it's just a high point. And then there's other high points that we get to journey with God to uh, on our way to the summit. And now, now for the Israelites, uh, they will think that the summit is the promised land. But, but truth be told, uh, the summit for them is really a right relationship with God. Uh, that they get to walk with him, they get to be known by him, they get to be cared by him, and and for us, um, we will think that the summit is is what Christ does at the cross, and that's incredibly important. But the right relationship we have with him is the summit, because each and every day is a new adventure with him. And and so 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 in Jesus, we we have a Savior who knows. Uh, suffering and we have a model to follow when we find ourselves in difficult seasons while we trust in his goodness to see us 
through. And, and now this kind of leads us uh, to where we call the cross our, our moment of salvation. The Israelites would look back and they would say the Red Sea was their true moment of salvation. Because in it is when God deals with their greatest enemy and brings them to their what they think is freedom but what we find is their freedom just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we get along and so uh let's pray before we we talk about the red sea father we come to you and we thank you Uh, we thank you for your word this morning that that we get to look back and and know that this isn't just story time that you move mightily for the sake of your glory And we get to benefit mightily because of your love. So we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that that he would speak to us in these words today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so so in the Passover, we we see how, uh, for us, how Jesus deals with the guilt of our sin. Uh, but, But I think too often the message of the gospel tends to end there. Uh, that, that we fail to grasp the magnitude of the gospel and, and its power to bring healing in every single aspect of our lives. And, and I think one reason uh, for this is that our view of sin and its effects are, are too small. So, so it's not uncommon uh, for a person to come to Jesus and then um, by extension say something along these lines of, of, I know God has forgiven me, but I still feel Ashamed, or 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 when when I remember what shameful things were done to me, I just can't get over it. I want to hide, and I want to hide that from God. And, and and so so for instance, we how how can we deal with wounds inflicted by others and also experience freedom from shame when the damage has already been done? Or or to put it another way, how does the gospel uh, which is foreshadowed in Exodus, uh, how does the gospel address all the damage done to us by sin, both both our, our own sin and then the sin of others against us? How does the gospel work itself out? And, and I read an explanation of what shame is the other day. that I find it fitting. And, and the person said that, that shame is the traumatic exposure of nakedness. It's the traumatic exposure of, of nakedness, that when we feel shame, we feel most exposed at our core. And, and a common way to distinguish guilt from shame is to say uh, that guilt is about what you've done, while shame can feel that it says something about who you are. And, and so, so if, if you have a less than biblical view of sin and its effects on you, it can be tempting to conclude that, that shame can be remedied by merely affirming yourself. Like you say, no, you're not as bad as you think you are. You're not as bad as you think you are. Oh, you're a good person. You're a good person. And the problem is, apart from Jesus, we're not. And apart from the gospel, we're hopeless. And we are guilty. And we are shame-filled. And, and so, so it, it kind of goes something like this, that, that you're sorry for what you've done, but you don't feel bad about who you are in certain moments of our lives. And, 
But according to the Bible, and this is what we find, that, that real guilt results in real shame. And, and yes, it's, it's not just a matter of what you do. It has to do with, with who you are, specifically who you are in relation to God. And, and we can see this from the moment sin enters the world way back in Exodus, uh, way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve, right? It only takes them about seven verses uh, before they go from they were naked and not ashamed to being ashamed and hiding from God. And the transition point is sin. And so, so what they do is Adam and Eve, they felt their nakedness and they hid. And, and the resulting distance from God is a picture of what shame tempts us to do. Uh, it tempts us to be separated from the presence of, of a holy God. And the beauty of the gospel helps us understand God's role in taking our guilt and taking our shame so that we can not just um, know what God wishes us to do, but what we can see how God, what God does to make possible a way for us to live as his chosen people. And so we last left the Israelites um, as they were plundering Egypt, which is what God told them they would do, that when they left, they were going to leave with some goods. Uh, and they come bounding out of Egypt with a strut in their step, right? And then chapter 13 opens with, with God calling them to consecrate their firstborn, who those firstborn, by the way, were just rescued in the Passover, right? And so, so as we pick up, let's, let's go in uh, verse 17, uh, and we're going to pay very careful attention to what God is saying to us about his, his involvement. Verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God, okay, so I would put a, I would put a triangle or a square or something there because, because we need to know he is the one who's directing here. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, but God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward, you can underline these words, toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up uh, out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And verse 20, and they moved on from Sakoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Okay, now pay attention. Verse 21, so important. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, what does it say? Did not depart from before the people. And so, so there's two major things uh, I know. So, so there, there's two major things I want us to, to note uh, before we get into chapter 14 because as we read this account, there's going to seem to be confusion uh, when we get to chapter 14 about how the Israelites have ended up where they're at. Okay, But, but, but I think uh, we need to know that all along God has not abandoned them, even though they will say that God has abandoned them. Uh, and so, so, so the first important thing to know is how God intentionally takes Israel 
on the scenic route uh, because he knows the hearts of his people and how quickly they will run back to the arms of their abusers. He knows that. And so as they arrive at the Red Sea, we need to know it is the result of God intentionally leading them there because he knows best what they need. And then the second thing is, is we need to point out is, is that Israel will know that they're in the right place as long as they simply follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Like they, if, if they find themselves in a spot and they say, I don't know where, if I'm in the right spot, all they have to do is look and see the pillar. And this is an incredible, merciful act that God is literally leading them and they will they will again they will forget this in a second when their eyes focus off the pillar and onto the Egyptians but God is making his presence known and now now typically what happens when uh, people like you and me read uh, this account of the pillar by fire and the pillar by cloud is we say well that must be nice because I have a whole just litany of questions I have for God about the direction of my life and and we say well it must be nice that's really what I want God just just do it this way. And, and now, what I'm here to tell you is that you have a greater benefit than the cloud. Right? In Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tells us and guides us and leads us and warns us. And he does all these things that we really want God to do by sitting down and putting a note on your nightstand and say, Hey, today, quit your job and go for that one. Okay? So I say that in love, that, that any moment we want to be envious of the Israelites... We shouldn't because we have a better life promised to us in Jesus than they will ever experience. Okay? So, I say that uh, in, in love. Okay? So, so, so God is sending the Israelites to the Red Sea. And so, now, now commentators will tell us that, that the sea is really symbolic for chaos. Uh, rarely do we find a moment in the Bible when the sea is described and it's not at first a chaotic scene. And so, 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 which basically helps us understand that the sea stands opposed and chaos stands opposed to the good order of God's creation. And so, so before creation, there was chaos in the waters of the deep until God ordered the chaos to halt by creating through his powerful word. And so, so from this, we, we learn that life under God's word becomes good and orderly, but sin will always want to drive back God's created order towards chaos. That's why our urgency always feels strange when it comes to us being outside step of our relationship with God. And so, so the chaos of the sea is, is like sin's vandalism of, of peace. Because both threaten to unmake God's creation. Yet, yet God is greater for wherever we find chaos and sin trying to unmake God's creation. We find a God who ultimately triumphs over by making a new creation. And so, so, so knowing what role chaos plays in God's story gives us a clue to the significance of, of the Red Sea. And so, so as we come to these waters of chaos, we find really the same pattern that we've seen all along. That, that, that God rules over chaos and he recreates. And so, so it's the wiping away of something old and it's the dawning of something that's new. And so let's, let's go uh, chapter 14. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 1. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihiroth, that's the way you say it, uh, between Migdol and the sea in front of Belzephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. And then he, then he tells, hey, Moses, check, check out what I'm going to do, okay? For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Now, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, because Pharaoh has been walking around as a little G in his own mind, saying, I am the ultimate authority. I have control over what the Israelites do. Okay, But God is saying, no, no, no. He will know, if he hasn't already, right? I am the Lord Then it says, and they did so. So God is intimately guiding the Israelites like a shepherd with his flock. And and if there had ever been a question of God's presence as they cried out in Egypt, there was no longer. They had this constant, visible reminder that, 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 that present though he was, the path that he chooses for them will be perilous. Because we serve a God of adventure. We serve a God of adventure, not a God of comfort. And so, so God led them straight to the impassable Red Sea and told them, hey, have a seat. Set up camp facing it. And so we end that scene and we come into a new one in, in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. Big shocker, right? And they said, what is this we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? And, and so he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him and, and he took 600 chosen chariots and, and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. And while the people of Israel were going out uh, def- uh, defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. And, uh, and they overtook them and camped by the sea in Springtown uh, in front of Belzephon. Okay? That, I gave it one shot today, and that's all I was going to give it. Um, okay? So this scene comes into play, and it's the Darth Vader music playing in the background, right? And he's on the ship, and he's strangling people like this, you know? And so Pharaoh is coming with the full force of his army against the Israelites. Now, now remind you, this is not a surprise to God. Okay? In fact, uh, this will be a surprise, though, to the Israelites. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And this is where we're like, oh, yes, they're getting it. But they don't, okay? They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away from to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been, listen to this, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see 
the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you when? Today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. This is so important, guys. You will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. So, so as, as Pharaoh draws near, the people look up in dread, right? As they've done pretty much every time they see Pharaoh. They look up and, and their hope immediately is snuffed out. Uh, and they start to argue and they start to complain. And they say, why did you bring us out here? We were better off slaves. And, and, and to me, this is the cry of a person who has never felt the sweet embrace of peace and freedom. Because listen, settling for a life of bondage is no way to truly live. It isn't. It isn't, though time to time, that's, that's what we want to settle for. Well, at least I know its comforts, even though its comforts make me miserable. So nonetheless, they're, they're hemmed in by evil or land on all sides. Behind them, they have a known enemy who's filled with wrath and is fast approaching. And ahead of them is an impassable sea. And they feel trapped. And then Moses, so patiently and so confidently speaks to them and he says don't don't be afraid just don't don't be afraid the lord will save you he will fight for you and after this battle you will never see them again you are safe here and you need only to be silent and wait for god so let's 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 go chapter 15 verse 15 And then we're just going to read the rest of this account. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. He says, Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And, And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts his chariots and his horsemen. And the, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. God literally becomes their shield. And there was the cloud and the darkness and, and it lit up the night without uh, one coming near uh, the, the other all night. And, and then verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea by, by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in, uh, in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee 
from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They're getting it, right? The Egyptians are all of a sudden realizing, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going to work well for us. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of uh, the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 13, I love love how Moses breaks in and tells us this. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power of the Lord uh, that, I'm sorry, saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So, So here's what we need to know. The Israelites' hope was not in vain. All they had to do was simply wait, stop, and be silent. God God literally defends them with the cloud and then literally drowns them in the ocean. So as this new day dawns, the Israelites on the far side, uh, and they notice the Lord's gaze pierces through and fear dreadfully falls on the Egyptians and they... Are no longer. And this is, guys, this is a monumental moment. I know! Their, their old life of slavery was gone. And a new life with God has just begun. This is, this is their moment of salvation. Because before, the Israelites were still looming, right? Yes, they... They walked out of Egypt with a strut in their step, but they always knew that enemy is still there. And what you have here is evidence of God saying, I'm going to remove that. The fear of that threat is no longer. So, so, so God's people had gone through a sort of, of death and, and resurrection. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul will look back on the Red Sea and he kind of sees it as uh, an outline for Christian baptism, that, that death to an old life and resurrection to a new one. And you can go uh, 1 Corinthians 10 there. You can go Romans chapter uh, 6. Uh, in fact, uh, one commentator notes that, that many Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus at Easter by singing the song of the sea that we find uh, in Exodus 15, that, that God has wielded the forces of creation, wind and waves and earth, to unmake the enemy and remake his people. And so, so the Red Sea is it's so much more than just the Israelites and the Egyptians, guys, because, because God is bringing his people to him by removing the guilt and the shame of their former, li- former lives and walking them into the promised land that comes with his presence and with his blessing. 
that, that the shame of their past and the shame of their accusers and their abusers, that what brought them are thrown into that sea and died there. And they no longer have to worry about it. And this is what we have in Jesus at the cross. This is our, this is our better promise this morning. Uh, Tim Keller says, Jesus is the, the creator who came here not to smite us, but to be uncreated so we could be recreated. The, the maker who came to be unmade so we could be remade. The judge who came not to bring judgment, to, but to bear judgment, to, to take what we deserve so the Holy Spirit could come into our lives. And once our sins are forgiven and begin to remake us, we, we sing this often here, that, that, that you're making beautiful things out of the dust. And this is what we have, that, that on the cross, Jesus made an end to everything old and began something new. Paul will say that we are new creations in Jesus. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we are made alive in Christ, the change is radical. Because what he has done is radical. Are you okay, Ward? You having a heart attack there? No? Okay, here we go. So, so we stand as it, are, as it were on the far side. If you are in Christ, you stand on the far side of the Red Sea with an old life completely wiped away and a new life beginning. And this new life is, is none other than new creation. It's the the restoration of peace. So we can, we can start wrapping this up. So, so here, here's where we land today. Okay, so, so in Jesus, we can be free from the guilt our sin condemns us of. And we can be free from the shame our sin proclaims we should feel. Okay, take some time this week and just, just go live in the book of uh, Ephesians. Because the whole thing is about the identity change that happens because of who Christ is in you. And so, so, so we, can be, we can be free from the guilt our sin condemns us of. We can be free from the shame our sin proclaims we should feel. That both guilt and shame have been drowned in the sea of the cross. Both of them. And so the Israelites on, on the far side of the Red Sea had every reason to celebrate. They were free. They, they never have to return to Egypt. They saw their enemies washed up, dead on the seashore. And I would, I would beg to wonder if some of those people that washed up on the shore were some of the greatest ones who brought oppression. That as they looked and they saw, they're like, he's no longer a threat to me. He can no longer do damage to me. And this God who had delivered on his promise to rescue them had also promised to lead them to a new land and a new life. And, and yet, d- despite the finality and the hope in that victory, they, they still, here's what, you, here's what you need to know, they still bore the scars on their back and they will still have fear in their hearts because they were, they were creatures in need of, of recreation. And almost immediately in the first wilderness scene uh, after the Red Sea, God promised his people that if they would follow him in this new life that he's made possible for them, 
he would heal them. He would bring healing to those scars and those wounds. He would spare them from the diseases that they they had been afflicted with in Egypt. And he says this, he says, I am the Lord, your healer. And so I guess our question is, is, is God our your healer today? Because, because the shame question really comes down to this. Um, who do I believe I am in my Father's eyes? Who, who am I in light of my past sin? And who am I in light of the damage done that sin has done to me? Whether it be mine or inflicted upon me. Who am I? And I think, I think in light of, of past sin, uh, what, what, when Jesus stands before the Father in your place, your guilt is pardoned and your shame is taken away. Like think, think, of, think of the people in your life that have seen it all. They've seen you emotionally naked. Maybe even physically naked. They know your fears, they know your your concerns, they know your doubts, they, they know all of those things, and yet they still say, I love you, and I still walk with you. Now take that person as imperfect as they are, and understand, they can't take your shame away. They can just be with you through it. But your Heavenly Father says, walk through this dry ground. And when you get to the other side and you look back, I want you to see what I do to it. I destroy it. I break it. It no longer has the ability to threaten you again. In Jesus, your guilt and your shame are dead. And so what does it say about us when we want to carry it still? What does it say about where our hearts are? So in light of of your past sin, when Jesus stands before the Father, your guilt is pardoned, your shame is taken away. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what this shame is, right? We need to be cleansed from it. And then in in light of the damage done, Jesus abounds in compassion uh, for you in your hurt. And really more than that, he rescues you from your wounds so they do not define you. It's his glory to make you a new creation. It is his glory to adopt you as a child of God and to heal you. And that glory outshines any shame that could possibly come from what's been done. That's what he is. So we look at the Red Sea and we say, that's that's huge. That's incredibly life-changing for them. And what I'm telling you today is you have something better in Jesus. You can live without the guilt of sin, without the weight of shame. You can do that. 
but not because of how special you are, because you're not, but because of how incredibly merciful God is to us. Our desire this week is to love God by we wrap up and we make a couple things available as we do every week. If you need some prayer today, we'll have a group of people over here that, that long to pray with you. We believe we shouldn't share our burdens. Uh, we shouldn't carry our burdens on our own. And that by sharing them, we can we can move more easily through. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, and maybe, maybe you do have this weight of guilt and condemnation and you have this feeling of shame uh, I want you to know that you don't have to carry that anymore you don't have to look over your shoulder at your accuser anymore because death loses its sting in Jesus sin loses its power in Jesus and all we would like to do this morning is give you an opportunity to respond to that I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. We pray that that we would not become jealous over the Red Sea. That we would just simply respond in greater ways to the cross. Father, I pray we would be able to see more clearly today who we are because of your son, not who we are because of what the world says. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.
guys have a blessed day. We'll see you out there uh, this afternoon.